Well, as we begin chapter 5, Paul now continues his instruction. Like I said last week, this instruction is going to hit every area of our lives. If it hasn't already, it will by the time we get to the end of the book. We're going to focus on the first two verses of chapter 5 this morning uh, because I think those should be really closely tied to the end of chapter 4. Okay, Paul is continuing, I think, in his thought process. If I was in charge of chapter and verse divisions, chapter 4 would have had 34 verses. Chapter 5 would have started where we have verse 3, but I am not in charge of that, praise the Lord. And we have much wiser people who have done that for us. So I invite you to open your Bible. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. I'm going to read this whole section because this is where we're going to be, at least through the new year, in this section 1 through 21. And I want us to get the context of this whole thing. So open your Bibles if you have them, please, or just listen and follow along as I read from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come once again now to a section of your word that demands something of us. To be imitators of God is a high and lofty and impossible call apart from your work. So as we look now this morning, as we uncover the text together, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here working. You have promised to bear witness to yourself through your word, and we ask that that would happen today. Give us ears to hear. Give us open hearts and open eyes to see what you'd have for us. And would none of us leave here unchanged by the power of your spirit. So come and be our teacher, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when we start chapter 5 now and we see this word 
therefore, I think there's a couple of different senses in which we should take this. I think you all probably know the word therefore means in light of what I just said. So I think we can look and go back to the beginning of chapter 4, where Paul starts all of these imperatives, all of these instructions. He's saying in view of that, but also I think there's a really close connection to verse 32 of chapter 4. I think there's a really close connection between what he's saying, there's some of the same language being used, but when he says in verse 32 that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us, you remember that? I think he's saying that's one way that we imitate God. Forgive one another. Be imitators of God. There's a, there's a really close connection. He uses the same present imperative verb tense, so we should be imitating God. Imitation of God is not something that we choose to do at certain times in our Christian life, and then when it's not convenient, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to live my own way. The imitation of God is a continuous, ongoing call in the life of every Christian. Because God is a forgiving God, his children ought to imitate their father by practicing the same kind of forgiveness. See that connection? So the therefore, of course, refers to everything that was going on, but I think immediately it refers to this, here's some ways of how you can imitate God. It is the mark, imitation is the mark of someone who has been changed by the gospel. Or maybe I should say, is being changed (laughs) by the gospel. We don't mean to make this sound definitive, like if your life doesn't look exactly like this, well, you must not be a Christian. We all know that the process of becoming like Christ is lifelong. So take heart and be encouraged. This is meant to encourage our growth, not make you so depressed because you can't live up to the standard. Like I said earlier, God gives the grace. Now, I want to say a couple words about imitating God. What does it mean to imitate God? I think we all know what imitation is. Probably the best example would be that of a mirror. When you stand in a mirror, the reflection imitates exactly what you do. If you move like this, the reflection in the mirror goes like this. Right? That is an exact imitation. Maybe you've been around kids, younger people, and they start a game of the repeater where they repeat every blessed word that you say. That's a form of imitation. It's also a form of irritation. So, But sometimes when people look up to someone, they want to be like them. Right? Maybe you go into a certain career because someone you look up to was in that career field, military or service or whatever. You're imitating them. Maybe you have a sports hero. Can you imagine? Maybe you have a sports hero and you want to drink the same Gatorade or wear the same shoes or whatever. These are all forms of imitation. Trying to make your life look like the life of somebody else. This can be good and healthy. It can be kind of dangerous. We've got to be careful who we're imitating and why. But when it comes to the imitation of God, the Bible is not silent at all. There are multiple texts that talk about the fact that if you are a child of God, if you belong to him, you are to imitate him in his character, in his attributes. We're going through attributes in Sunday school right now, talking about which parts of God we can share, which parts of God we do not. You can come and check that out if that's interesting to you. There's a couple of texts I want to read to to show us that this is indeed the scriptural call for all of us as believers. This is Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Verse 35, he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. 
for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Okay, so here we're called to imitate the quality of God that we know as his mercy. Or 1 Peter 4. Nope, this is 1 Peter 1, 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Here we imitate God in his holiness. Now, imitation is not something that just shows up in the New Testament. The Old Testament is replete with this. In fact, I think that when God gives the law to his people and he says, this is the way you are to conduct yourself, this is him calling the nation of Israel to imitate him because the law is a reflection of God's character, what he values, what he wants, what he desires. So I think that when he gives the law, he is in a sense calling his people, imitate me, follow my law. But we need to recognize that there are some differences between the motivation for imitation in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, we talk about the imitation of God, we can ask why. Why should we imitate God in what he does or what he said or what he's commanded us to do? There is a difference in the Old Covenant imitation. In the Old Covenant, one of the motivators... Because God relates to his people in terms of covenant, he always has and he always will, the terms of a covenant in the Bible are blessing for obedience, cursing or punishment for disobedience. Right? That's kind of the standard covenant language. If you do this, if you uphold this commandment, it'll go well for you and this kind of a thing. These are the basic tenets of a covenant relationship. So, if you're in the nation of Israel and you hear, okay, this is what God requires of you, imitate him in this way, love justice, seek mercy, walk humbly with your God, you go back to the Mosaic law and all these things that they were to follow, what's your primary motivation for obedience? Maybe I shouldn't say primary. One of the things I think that motivated the people was that of fear of punishment, right? And I'm not making this up. Let me just read you a couple examples. Exodus 15, 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. If you do what I commanded you, if you imitate my character by following my law, you're not going to get all this stuff. Well, of course, wouldn't part of you hear that and go, okay, well, we don't want all those plagues. We better step in line. We better keep things up. Deuteronomy 12, 28. Be careful to obey all these words that I commanded you, that it may go well with you and that your children after you would live in peace when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Well, of course we want it to go well. Of course they wanted things to be right for their kids. So what do you do? At least, I'm just saying that at least part of the motivation for imitating God in the Old Covenant was this fear of the hand coming down to punish disobedience. But what do we see when we come to the New Testament? Is it the same? Do we have this exact one-to-one replication of what was going on there? I think Paul gives the answer right here for what imitation of God is like. Ephesians 5.1 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. In the new covenant, imitation is motivated by the fact that you and I have not, are not any longer kept at an arm's length, but God has, in his grace and love, adopted us into his family We're not outside kind of looking in anymore. We covered this in Ephesians 2. But God has drawn us near by the blood of Christ. Adoption in the Christian life is a huge, huge theme. And so important for us to understand, especially in the context of obedience and imitation. Let me just give you a couple texts. This shows up all over the New Testament. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear of what? Okay, But you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, my second favorite text in all of Galatians. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So let me ask you, can you see the difference? Can you see how in the old covenant it would be really easy to say, man, we don't want to get this punishment, we don't want these plagues, we want things to go really well for us, we better step in line, we better be obedient because That's the terms of the covenant. When we come to the covenant of grace that was instituted by Christ, which we celebrate, we hold our cup up in communion. We say, this is the blood of the, what? New covenant, which God established through his son, Jesus Christ. We are beloved children, and our obedience ought to be motivated out of the knowledge of what God has done for us, not just this fear of punishment, huge difference in what motivates us to imitate our Father. Now this imitation, this obedience is only possible because of Jesus and his sacrifice. Imitation of God is utterly impossible without the work of the Spirit. John 7, Jesus is talking about the living water, which of course is language for the Holy Spirit. And he says this, this is verse 39, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the Spirit didn't come and indwell every believer until Christ had been glorified and ascended, and he sends the Spirit. We we know this, hopefully. So when I say that this kind of obedience is only possible because of Christ, What I mean is that if Jesus had not come, lived, died, risen, ascended, and sent his spirit, we would have no hope. Because like we said last week, obedience to the word of God is only possible through the indwelling work of his Holy Spirit. You tracking with me? So based on John 7, the spirit comes when Jesus ascends, his work is done. Therefore, obedience to the word of God is because of Christ. And his sacrifice. We want to draw attention to Jesus and away from ourselves, away from our merit, away from our works, and put it solely on Christ, who gives us his spirit 
that we would walk in obedience to what he has said. Let's keep going now. Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, if you've been here since the beginning or if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, you know that walking is a major theme for Paul in this book. Six times he mentions walking. And in every time, we could substitute the phrase, conduct yourself, for the word walk. Let me just give you a couple examples. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to conduct yourself, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 4.17, you must no longer conduct yourself as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 5.15, look carefully then how you conduct yourself, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So the instruction in verse 2 here, to walk this way, is an instruction to conduct ourselves in love. To walk in love. Now you can certainly make an argument from the Scriptures that we are to walk in love towards God, towards our Father, based on all that He has done for us. But I think Paul's instruction here is more specific to us to the gathering of the church. That's who he's writing to. How do we conduct ourselves when we gather together as Christians? We conduct ourselves in love. This is what it means to imitate God, that we walk in love towards one another. Love is the chief and highest virtue that marks the life of the Christian or that ought to mark the life of the Christian. John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you... Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Paul told the Corinthians that faith, hope, and love abide, all three. But the greatest of those is love. I think it's noteworthy here that Paul is articulating the love of God Christ, the love of Jesus for his people. Not just the Father. Now the Bible speaks of both, right? The love of God the Father for his people, the love of the Son for his people. Why? Why do we have different ways of saying what we might think is the same thing? Okay, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he goes on to say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. The Son of God loved me. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's Jesus. But we also read texts like Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Or back in Ephesians 2, Remember this text? But God being rich in mercy because of what? Because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. So why the different ways of saying it? Why draw attention to one or the other? Good question. But I think for as much as the Bible talks about God the Father giving the Son as a sacrifice for sin... I'm thinking texts like Isaiah 53, it was the will of God to bruise him. Think of texts like Romans 8, 
32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. We see this language of God giving the son over to satisfy his own wrath against sin. But what we need to know and what I think the texts that articulate Jesus' love for us, what I think that's doing is letting us know that Jesus was not an unwilling participant in the atonement. Jesus did not go kicking and screaming to the cross, somehow being strong-armed into being this sacrifice. It was a willing sacrifice. By saying that Christ loved us, Paul is reminding us that our Savior willingly gave up his life because of his great love for us. What does that do when we come to the table? And we celebrate the death of Jesus and the blood that was shed. You can know with confidence that he was not being coerced into that sacrifice, but that he willingly gave up his life for you. Not just obedience. He was obedient to the Father. There was two motivations for Christ's sacrifice. Love of the Father and love for you. And it's important that we know both of those things. John 10, Jesus says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me. Jesus says, I lay it down of my own accord. He laid down his life of his own will. And so you and I now are called to practice this same kind of love towards one another. Generous, willing, Free, no strings attached. But now we can ask the question, what did Christ give himself as? Okay, he gave himself up. What did he give himself up as? Paul says that he was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, offering and sacrifice are, of course, very similar words, but they do carry a slightly different meaning as they're used in the Bible. The word Offering simply means to freely bring something to someone. That's the best definition you'll hear all day, I guarantee you that. What do we call it when we bring to the Lord out of what he's given to us? Offering, right? We give to the Lord freely, voluntarily. Hopefully no one's coercing you into that. That's something we do freely and we give. So when Paul says that Jesus gave himself as an offering... We should see this as the offering of Jesus giving himself up voluntarily, like I just said. There was no coercion. This was a free offering to God. And when Paul says that it was a pleasing or fragrant offering to God, I think we need to understand that God was pleased to accept this offering. It was sufficient. It was enough. It was pleasing to God. So what about the sacrifice part? Well, a sacrifice was usually made to atone for sin. An offering could be made for celebration, for thanksgiving, for whatever. A sacrifice was to make up for something, to pay for something. This is referring to the aspect of the atonement that made satisfaction for our sins. The Bible calls this propitiation, a sacrifice that satisfies wrath. The wrath of God that was against every one of us because of our sin, Jesus paid for by his sacrifice, which was willingly brought. 
there's a text in Hebrews chapter 10 that uses these same two words, sacrifice and offering. And I think it sums up this act of what Jesus did and also helps us understand how we benefit from this. So listen to Hebrews chapter 10. This is verse 12. But when Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice, okay, this is the payment, When he had offered a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, something that he brung to God, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus was an offering. He freely came. And he was a sacrifice. He paid the debt, offering sacrifice. Now, you and I, after seeing this in Ephesians 5, are totally on the hook. (laughs) And what I mean is that we cannot look at love in the Christian life or look at interacting with one another and say, well, I don't know what to do. What what, what does that mean? I, I don't know what to do. Yes, we do. Christ left us the example Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You follow me? We know. We know what is required of us. So I want to close by asking some questions. Is your life pleasing to God? Is your life pleasing to God? Do you walk in such a way as to draw attention to the love of God that has been poured out in your life? Do you imitate God out of fear? Trying to keep the scales balanced and if you just do enough good, boy, you can keep that scale pretty pretty balanced. Or do you pursue the imitation of God as a response to his grace and mercy that has been shown to you? Now, hear me on this. I'm not asking these questions so that you leave here and start to just clean everything up and start to work hard. These questions are meant to get at the root, the motivation of our behavior, the motivation for our obedience and our imitation of God. You see, two people can both live lives of obedience with very different motivations, One out of duty and obligation and fear. One out of love for God. And only one of those is pleasing to God, even though they might look the same on the surface. God's not just after the externals, brothers and sisters. He's after your heart and the thing that motivates your externals. Psalm 40, David says this. I think this is so good. Psalm 40, David says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. God doesn't delight in your external obedience. He delights in the heart that wants to obey Because of what Christ has done. So I want to encourage you to read the scriptures. 
Read the Bible with an eye towards that internal transformation, the work of the Holy Spirit that will produce in your life imitation, obedience, faithfulness, holiness, all the fruits of the Spirit. Don't just go from here and try to clean it up. Go from here encouraged that God, through His Holy Spirit, gives us what we need to imitate Him so that we can walk in love towards one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we we so desperately need you. We need your help to know what to do. We need to know when to do it. We have all of these questions about what it means to live a life that's pleasing to you. So please, through your word, through the instruction of those around us and encouragement of other believers, help us to know how to put this into practice. Would we lay aside the old habits and hindrances that keep us from walking in this way and would we be imitators of you as we read your word and we see that you love holiness, you love mercy, you love justice, you love all of these things, Lord, help us to follow after you in them. And by the work of your Spirit, Lord, enable us to do these things, not out of a selfish motivation or fear or anything else, but help us to live in purity before you because you loved us. And your Son, Jesus, loves us. So in response to that love, Lord, we freely give ourselves to you. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.